Warning, this episode is rated R for violent and disturbing themes. Welcome to the Untold Podcast, capturing the culture's imagination through speculative fiction. I'm your host, Nathan James Norman. Well, it's Halloween season, and you know what that means. It means Christmas decorations have invaded your local hardware store. But it also means that we're going to feature our first ever R-rated episode. So if you listen to the Untold Podcast with your kids, now might be a good opportunity to turn off this episode and explain to them that sometimes adults need to explore adult topics at the adult table that the youngins just aren't ready to understand. And it's okay if from time to time we do that on this show. I mean, we don't teach our kids in Sunday school that Heber's wife Jael killed Sisera by hammering a tent peg through his head, or how Judah slept with his daughter-in-law thinking she was a prostitute, or how Elisha called upon two she-bears to maul some rebellious kids who'd call him bald. At least I hope you don't. Because if you do, I'm really jealous that I didn't go to your Sunday school. Because let me tell you, when I found out that the David and Goliath story doesn't end with Goliath lying on the ground with a rock in his face, but with David chopping off Goliath's head with the giant's own sword, I felt somehow cheated out of some very important boy-friendly details. Let me tell you. That's right, sometimes Christianity is not family-friendly, and that's why I'm thrilled to bring this month's story to our adult, and possibly older teen, audience. Our story this month was written by Jess Hanna. Jess Hanna is an author of supernatural thrillers that explore spiritual themes. Jess's stories intrigue and entertain while tirelessly pursuing the truth. He lives in San Diego, California with his wife and currently works in the publishing industry. He is also a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. His works include the full-length novels The Road to Hell and Adverse Possession. You can find Jess Hanna at www.jesshanna.com, where you can also grab a free digital copy of today's story. You can also find there digital versions for various e-readers for all of his works there, as well as traditional print formats. Connect with him on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Jess Isaac Hanna. And follow him on Twitter at twitter.com backslash Jess Isaac Hanna. Also, our awesome episode art this week was created by Jackie Jolene. You can follow her musical work over at www.jackiejolene.com. Head over to our show notes for all the details and direct links. So now, The Untold Podcast is proud to present If It Causes You to Sin by Jess Hanna. I was convinced it was the only way. I still am. Even now, while under the influence of the cocktail of drugs I've been forced to take to keep my behavior at an acceptable level, I can't stop thinking about it. Am I ever to be fully released from my sin? My torment? I suppose you think it's strange that I would document my descent into madness. Everywhere eyes are analyzing my every move. I can't even use the bathroom without someone standing right next to me. I'm not even allowed to wipe myself in privacy. I don't remember the last time I took a real shower. 
I'm forced to take sponge baths. I think my doctor is afraid I will try to drown myself somehow. I can't blame him. I probably would. Anything to escape this hell I find myself in. It all started with the voices. At first, they called to me softly, accusing me of minor things I'd done in the past. Lifting a pack of gum from the corner store when I was in elementary school, starting fights in junior high, punching my younger sister in the face and giving her a black eye, stealing cigarettes when I was a teen. All things I apologized for to get out of trouble, with no true repentance. And until then... It had been enough. The whispers started as background noise. It wasn't long before they grew into a roar that could not be ignored. All day long my offenses were listed against me. Everything that could be considered a sin at the work of my hands was brought to the forefront of my mind. Everywhere I looked was another reminder of a wrong I had committed. My sins were all that crowded my mind day and night. I stopped trying to sleep. As though it was pushed into my brain by some supernatural means, the memory of my grandfather quoting a verse from the Bible to try and scare me straight returned to me. It was Matthew 18.8, which reads, If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. It was then that the voices stopped accusing and started encouraging me to do something about my sin. Cut it off, they said. God is telling you to cut it off for the sake of your soul. I didn't want to cut off my hand, so I pushed the voices as far away as I could. But they niggled at the back of my brain like flies hovering over a pile of dung, taking little nips whenever they could. I pleaded and tried to reason with them. If anyone had seen me, I'm sure that I would have looked like a raving lunatic, begging for mercy from an unseen entity. I started to think I really was going crazy. The voices didn't care about all that noise. They were insistent that I cut off my hand to stop me from sinning. Switching tactics, I obsessed about ways to stop myself from even thinking about sin, but it was to no avail. Each evil thought and action was added to the growing pile of accusations that had become a mountain. The whispers became a pounding roar in my head. I was unable to get out of bed. I couldn't eat. I couldn't drink. My head spun with a vortex of rotten thoughts rushing through my brain. Cut it off, the voices screamed. It's the only way to stop yourself from sinning. You don't want to burn in hell, do you? I wanted to yell back at them, to tell them there had to be another way. But it was no use. They were 
deaf to my arguments. I buried my head in my pillow and whimpered until I fell into a sleep-like stupor, where the volume of the demonic chorus dulled from a scream to a whisper. My will was breaking down. When I regained full consciousness that day, it was early afternoon. The voices assaulted me full force, accusing me of all sorts of things I wasn't even sure I had done. My desire to stop sinning was starting to match my desire to stop the voices. I began to think of ways to cut off my right hand. I rolled over and stood up from the bed. I nearly passed out from the blood rushing to my brain. I put my hands on the wall to steady myself. The room seemed to vibrate. I closed my eyes to block out the pale light that filtered in through the dark curtains. Opening my eyes to slits, I was overwhelmed by the brightness. Using the wall for support, I worked my way to the bedroom door. It was slow and agonizing, each step sending waves of nausea through my weakened body. I started trembling due to lack of nourishment. Once at the door, I stepped into the blissful gloom of the hallway. Having the sudden urge to pee, I shuffled as quickly as possible into the bathroom. Unable to continue standing, I flipped up the lid on the toilet and sat down heavily. While going, I leaned forward and put my face in my hands. I don't know how long I was in there, but at some point I lost consciousness. When I drifted back into my familiar haze, I felt numbness in my legs. The gray light filtering in through the open door seemed less bright than before. The voices were unrelenting. When I forced myself to stand, the sensation of pins and needles in my legs brought a clarity of thought to my mind that I had not experienced for weeks, maybe for months. I knew that if I was to rid myself of the voices and my sin, I must do whatever they demanded of me. It was the only way to stop myself from falling further into the bottomless pit of madness. I stumbled into the kitchen and stared at the knife block. I had a big, sharp knife that I used to cut hunks of meat, had even used it to cut through a bone or two. But was it enough to cut through the thickness of my wrist? I wasn't sure. Next, I thought about using a meat cleaver. Just one good swipe would do the job quite well. The problem with that was getting a good aim on the right spot. It was possible to cut off too little of my hand and be forced to try again. I might also cut too far up my arm, which would look ridiculous. And there was always the possibility that I'd have to hack at it more than once. My empty stomach cramped at the thought, threatening to send me into dry heaves. I realized in that moment that performing the amputation at home was not practical. I needed to be in a public place. At home, it was entirely possible that I could pass out at a critical moment, bleed out and die, despite the precautions I might take. While I wanted to cut off my hand, I did not have a serious death wish at that time. Once I gave serious consideration to cutting off my hand, the voices became less loud 
allowing me to think more clearly about how it could be done safely. That's how I ended up at Home Depot. For the first time in days, I was able to collect myself enough to take a shower, shave, and get ready to go out for the day. I threw on a wrinkled pair of shorts and a well-worn black t-shirt. It was a relief to know that soon my torment would end and I would be free of the voices, as well as my sin. As I headed out, I noticed an envelope pinned to my door. I opened it. It was a termination of tenancy notice from my landlord. I hadn't paid rent in almost two months. I'd lost my job about a month before that from calling in sick too many times. I'd burned through all my meager savings. I had practically nothing left aside from unemployment benefits and a bridge card, both of which I'd neglected to collect for the past six weeks. Even then, it had been barely enough to pay for the electric, gas, car payment, insurance, and a meager supply of food each month. I didn't care. I crumpled the letter and tossed it on the ground in front of my door. My stomach grumbled, and I realized I was ravenous. I considered going back into my apartment for some food, but remembered there wasn't any. I pulled my wallet out of my pocket to check my available funds. I had a five, two ones, and some loose change. It would be enough to grab a little something to eat. Twenty minutes later, I sat in my car outside of Home Depot with a mouthful of cheeseburger. When I finished the sandwich and fries, I chased it all down with a Coke that burned as it rushed down my throat. Satisfied, I sat in the car staring at the huge orange letters in the distance. I wasn't scared about what I was about to do. In fact, I felt a strange peace. The voices were all but silent, which confirmed that I was doing the right thing. I shut off the car and opened the door. The sun was overly bright, and the atmosphere still seemed hazy. Everything had taken on a sort of otherworldly feel for me. I floated across the parking lot and into the store. The aisles and aisles of shelves piled high with an overwhelming amount of home improvement supplies enchanted me. The greeter at the door smiled and said, Hello! I returned a genuine smile of my own as I passed by. I strolled toward the middle of the store where I knew the drills and power saws to be, admiring the flooring and lighting options along the way. My happiness was short-lived as I studied the first table saw on display. The actual saw had been removed and the device unplugged. I moved to the other table saws and noticed a similar disturbing trend. It was the same with the circular saws, jigsaws, chainsaws, and reciprocating saws. None of them were armed or juiced up. I put my head down and continued past the electronic marvels, cursing myself for my bad luck. I stopped and leaned against a shelf and felt myself shudder. I was so close to accomplishing my goal of freedom, only to be thwarted by a paranoid abundance of safety measures. Frustrated, I sighed and looked up. That was when, 
I noticed that I'd wandered into the section of the store that held nearly every type of handsaw available. In my planning, I had been so focused on using an electric saw of some sort that I never considered using anything manual. It was mostly the convenience of a machine that would cut through flesh and bone quickly that appealed to me. I wasn't sure that I had the guts to go through with it otherwise. At the first sign of backing out, the voices returned with a vengeance. They screeched over each other, making my head spin. Cut it off! Cut it off! I dropped to the floor and grabbed the sides of my head. It was all I could do not to cry out. After a few seconds, I agreed to their demands, and when I did, the voices grew quiet again. Using the shelf for support, I pulled myself up into a standing position. A woman and her child walked by quickly. I surveyed my options. The large tooth crosscut saw made me want to gag when I thought about using it to cut through flesh and bone. It was far too ragged for my tastes. The hacksaw looked like it could work, but the teeth were so small that it made me think it would take an unreasonable amount of time to finish the job. I settled on a back saw. It was good-sized, with medium-sized teeth, and would stay fairly stable while I made the cut. It reminded me of a bone saw I had seen on a Discovery Channel reality show once. I pulled the back saw down from the shelf. It was heavier than I would have expected, and felt cold in my hands. I hugged it against my chest, and started walking toward the back of the store. I ended up in the lumber aisle, surrounded by pieces of cut wood of various sizes. I turned my head left and right, not really sure what I was trying to find. And then I saw it. A makeshift countertop sat at the end of one of the aisles. Using two sawhorses and a throwaway piece of plywood, someone had made a work surface. I approached it and wrapped the top a couple of times, sending little clouds of sawdust flying into the air. It was solid and stable enough for my temporary needs. The strange peace settled over me again as I considered my macabre task. I had already decided to cut off my right hand, the dominant one, which would prove a bit awkward using my left to cut, but it had to be done. I laid my right arm on the wood surface and made a fist with my thumb facing up. Gingerly, I laid the cutting edge of the saw against my wrist and felt the radial artery pumping blood into my hand. A wash of dizziness swept through my brain and I felt like I might pass out. I closed my eyes and took a deep breath. The swirling in my brain faded. I had to act fast before I lost my nerve. Stealing myself, I grabbed the handle of the saw with a death grip and made my first forward sawing motion. The artery I had felt pulsing a moment earlier tore open, spilling what seemed like an unusual amount of blood. It poured over the edge of the work surface and splashed onto the floor. I moved the saw back and forth, cutting through tendon, cartilage, and bone before reaching the radial nerve. 
As soon as the blade touched it, intense pain coursed through my hand and raced to my shoulder, blinding me. Tears streamed down my face, and I cried out in agony, nearly dropping the blood-covered saw. I heard a voice in the distance shouting, but the words were drowned out. I heard more shouting and work boots slapping against the hard floor. My entire body trembled, but I was determined to see it through. I laid my blood-soaked hand back on the dust-covered table and used the blade of the saw to locate the cut. I could no longer see it with the blood that obscured the wound. When I found it, I made one more forward sawing motion, severing the radial nerve and cutting deeper into my hand. The pain grabbed hold of me once again, and the world swam. The saw clattered to the floor, splashing blood on my exposed legs and shorts. Grabbing my arm below the wrist, I forced myself to look at my hand. The blood still flowed freely down my arm and over my left hand. I could no longer move my thumb, forefinger, and middle finger. What have I done? I felt the pulse in my wrist and watched as each beat pumped out more of my blood. Voices surrounded me, and the world began to rotate dangerously. I fell to the floor, hit my head against the cement, and passed out. Even now, I can see the events of that day clearly. My hand has long since healed. The only reminder is a puckered white scar that feels sore whenever rain is coming. The fact that it is still attached to my body is a constant reminder of my failure to absolve myself of my sin. I wasn't allowed much entertainment at first, with the exception of a small library of books that I was allowed to read under strict supervision, and some TV time that I avoided like the plague. <laughs> that crap rots your brain. One of the books was the Bible. I had hardly picked the Word of God up at any point during my life. Curious, I turned to Matthew 18.8 and read the verse my grandfather quoted so long ago. It made my heart beat faster, knowing that I was still guilty of my sin. But it was the next verse that made my stomach sink. It was Matthew 18.9, which reads, And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. I sat that night at dinner with my flimsy plastic spork, I can't have a proper fork, wondering how hard it would be to dig out an eye using such a utensil. I'm not ready to try it just yet, but the voices are beginning to cut through the chemical haze of drugs I'm forced to take. I pray that God shows me another way, a better way, before it's too late.
And that was our story. I hope it terrified you. It is absolutely horrifying to try and find forgiveness, freedom, and redemption by our own means and without the grace of Jesus. Be sure to check out all of Jess Hanna's works at jesshanna.com and grab a copy of this month's story for the e-reader of your preference. And while you're checking that out, remember that this podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at christiangeekcentral.com. Check out the Spirit Blade Underground and the Strangers and Alien podcasts. Support the network. So as we go, please remember to subscribe to our show, join our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, blog about us, and tell your friends. So until next time, I'm Nathan James Norman, leaving you with my favorite line from the story. I pray that God shows me another way, a better way, before it's too late. Ah, Home Depot. You can do it. We can help. Mm-hmm.